Well, good morning, Life Church Buffalo. It is so good to see all of your beautiful, smiling faces here. Uh, if you're new, let me introduce myself. My name is Pete, uh, and I serve as the lead pastor here, and we're just excited to have you joining us as we continue this series that you just heard Pastor Nate say in that video, This Is What We Do. And before we get into that and dive into week two, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, wish all of you a happy Thanksgiving. I hope yours was as full and as fun as mine was. It was so great to spend time with my my family and just disconnect and unplug. And I don't know about you, I can tell maybe by the looks of it that, um, like me, uh, your pants are feeling a little bit tighter today after gorging yourselves on turkey and stuffing and broccoli casserole and sweet potato casserole and mashed potatoes and corn and all of the other good stuff. For me, some of the best part of Thanksgiving is the leftovers making a Thanksgiving leftovers sandwich the next day, which is turkey and gravy and stuffing that you warm up on the griddle. You put mayonnaise and cranberries, put it on the griddle, then you butter both sides of the bread so it's like a, a panini. It's delicious. It's, oh, my mouth is starting to water. I'm hungry already. I've been up since 5 o'clock this morning. But anyway, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. And we have this tradition in our household where we go around the table after dinner is done and we all have to say one thing that we are thankful for as a family. We did that this year, but you know, over the last few days, I've been taking some extra time to just ponder and contemplate all that I have to be thankful for, even beyond you know, the obvious things of God's grace and my salvation and my beautiful wife and children. And I just wanted to take this opportunity as your pastor to just tell you how much time I've spent this week thanking God for all of you. Thanking God for this church, this, this family that I get to be a part of. I'm thankful for the staff that I get to serve with. And I'm especially thankful for our dream team, those of you that, that serve and volunteer on a weekly basis, that give of your time, your talents, and your treasure to be a part of what God is doing here through this church. And we say it all the time, and I hope it doesn't get old because it's not a cliche. It is absolutely true that we could not do what we do without you. And so church, I just want to ask you to join me in giving a round of applause to our dream team members. They are incredible. They are awesome. I'm so, so, so grateful for all of you. And also, before I jump into my message, I just wanted to kind of uh, piggyback off of what Pastor Nate said a moment ago about Christmas and really encourage you guys to be thinking about and praying about who you're going to bring with you to our Christmas experiences. Uh, it is the best opportunity all year long to invite the people in your life that aren't connected to a church and may not have a relationship with Jesus and invite them to church. Recent surveys have shown that of people polled, 83% of people would say yes to going to church at Christmas time if a friend or family member invited them to come. Never in another time in the, in the calendar year will you have those, that probability, that chance of success for people that you know to come to church with you be a part of an amazing experience, hear some great Christmas music, but more importantly, hear the gospel. And I just want to ask you guys to not only be thinking about who you're going to bring with you, but be praying with us for God to do some incredible things. We are believing that we are going to plunder hell, to populate heaven, that people are going to cross over from death to life as they respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do in those four Christmas experiences. Now, today, as I jump into my message, I you know, as I was planning and preparing this week, I didn't plan on doing this, but this morning as I was in my office getting ready to come over to the building here, I just felt like I wanted to start my message today with a word of prayer. So if you guys wouldn't mind just joining me and going to the Lord and asking him to bless our time as we open up his word. Jesus, we are so grateful for the freedom that we have. We have so much to be thankful for. 
Lord, that we live in a country to where we can gather without fear of persecution and worship you and, and, and open up your word. We're so thankful, God, for those freedoms. We're so thankful for this family and what you're doing in our church. But Lord, I pray in this moment as we get ready to open up your word that you would do what only you can do. Lord, that you would anoint the, the words that you've helped me to prepare. And God, I know that my words alone have no strength, no power to, to change the condition of the human heart by even one iota of an inch. But God, we cannot comprehend supernatural and spiritual principles through carnal minds. And so God, by your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just allow the scales to fall off and help us to see through your eyes, God, that you would give us your perspective on our stuff. Lord, we just commit this time to you. I pray for every ear to be open, every eye to be open, every ear, every heart to be open, to hear, to see, and to receive all that you have for us, God. We don't want just part. We want all that you have for us. God, thank you for gracing us with your presence today, and I pray that your anointing, your presence would get even stronger as we get into your word. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we dive into this week's message, I want to start with a question that's going to require some audience participation and feedback. How many of you would be unashamed to admit that you are a Black Friday shopper? How many of you went out shopping on Friday? Oh, we got more of this service than we had last service. I don't know if I should uh, congratulate you and give you a gold star for your bravery or encourage you to go get your head examined because that's just craziness, y'all. Like, Kelly and I did that a few years ago in the beginning part of our marriage, and I swore after that experience I would never do that again. Like the crowds, the, the chaos, the pandemonium, people fighting. Like I saw news reports this year of fights breaking out in different stores. A couple of people actually got killed this year being trampled because of the, the rush as the doors open and people falling over and just getting trampled as, as they run into the store. I think in Georgia somewhere, a fight broke out that turned into a, a gunfight and somebody got killed because people are just obsessed with, you know, getting more stuff. And I don't know how many of you here today would be honest enough to say that you've got a, a thing with wanting more stuff. I'm somewhat of a recovering stuff addict myself, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with stuff. It's when stuff has us that it becomes a problem. You know, I may not brave the, the crowds on Black Friday, but I do my fair share of shopping. I just choose to do it online. The worst thing that has ever happened to me is this right here, Amazon Prime. I'm telling you what, I can to stay in my PJs, I can stay in my underwear if I want to, and with the click of a button, know that in two days' time, it's gonna be on my doorstep. Free shipping, two days, it's awesome. Best invention ever. I love me some stuff, and I think Americans as a whole, we've got you know an addiction to stuff. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And I, what's interesting to me is that in the 66 books of the Bible, did you know that it mentions money and possessions over 2,000 times. Isn't that crazy? I think the actual number is somewhere around 2,300 times the Bible talks about money or possessions. What's the deal with that? I mean, is God obsessed with our stuff like we are? Let me actually put it to you this way. How many of you are parents here today? All the parents, raise your hands. Good number of you guys. I want you to think back to the birth of your very first child. Think back to what you felt and thought in that moment, that your child was perfect, more perfect than all the other kids. All the other kids paled in comparison to your perfect child. 
But then something happened around the age of 18 months that reminded you very well that they are wretched sinners just like you. (laughs) The scenario probably went something like this. They're playing with some toys with some other kids and either they tried to grab the toy of another kid or another kid tried to grab a toy that they were playing with and a word comes out of their mouth that lets you know that they have a sin nature. What is that word? Mine. Mine, right? That's the first inclination that almost every human being experiences that lets you know that we all have a sin nature and that sin of selfishness comes out from such a young, young age. And so the reason that God talks so much about money and possessions is because he knows that the number one competition for your heart is our stuff. And so if we're talking through the series about this is what we do and that we want to be an open-handed people and we want to be more generous and, and more giving, right, then we could not be possibly talking about a more important topic than what we're talking about here today. And so if you weren't here last week, we talked about the scarcity cycle, that the majority of people in our culture have what's called a scarcity mindset. It's this cycle that responds to all of God's provision uh, with the understanding that we think it's all for us. And so we consume everything that he gives us and we don't prioritize the tithe. We don't save anything extra for a rainy day. So we have no bargain, which leads to lack, which leads to this fear when we realize I don't have enough. I'm never going to get by. There's never enough. And so we respond to that fear. We self-medicate by doing what? By consuming even more. It makes us feel better. And so this cycle goes round and round. We go, we consume, we lack, we fear. But we learned last week that Jesus' followers should be operating under a different mindset. And that mindset is released when we step into and trust God with our finances. And we learned that the tithe breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a new cycle of supply. And so I want to just kind of give a disclaimer here. One of the things I, I failed to mention last week is that this principle applies only to followers of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're somebody who's just kind of seeking and exploring faith, you've got doubts and questions, understand this. You know, the principle of generosity is universal, whether you are a Jesus follower or not. Even people that don't follow Jesus, don't claim to be Christians, will tell you that those who are generous have a far more satisfied and fulfilled life than those who are stingy. But specifically when it comes to tithing, I'm talking to those of you who have, who have made Jesus the leader and Lord of your lives. And we understand that when we bring the tithe to the storehouse, that breaks the cycle of scarcity and creates a new cycle of supply where we get to experience a harvest of righteousness and abundance. Now I want to dive a little bit deeper into this topic today. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down. The scarcity cycle, the scarcity mindset starts in the mind, not in the wallet. The scarcity cycle starts in the mind, not in the wallet. See, how much money you have in your wallet, how much money you have or don't have in your bank account has nothing to do with whether or not you're actually operating out of a scarcity mindset. It's how you think about how much money you have or don't have in your bank account that determines whether or not you're living in a scarcity mindset. See, Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, every aspect of your life, your behavior, your patterns, your lifestyle, can all point back to what you think about the world that you live in. And so if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, 
Pastor Pete, like you're talking about this is what we do, but this is not what I do. I just want to encourage you today as we continue our conversation to really ask yourself this question, or maybe better yet, ask God this question. Am I thinking the right way about my stuff? Am I thinking the right way about money? And so if this isn't what you do, if you're not a generous person, then we have to start with how we think about money. And so today, if you have your Bibles or a Bible app on your phone, if you want to go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6, we're going to look at the story when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, for those of you who are newer to faith or maybe not as familiar with the biblical narrative, it's somewhat of a misnomer to say that he fed 5,000 because in that culture, when they counted crowds, they only really counted adult males. And so this didn't include all of the women and children that were part of the crowd as well. So it's probably more accurate to say that Jesus preached to and then fed probably between scholars think 15 and 20,000 people. So I want you to have like try to picture that in your mind and to put it into context, that's like saying that Jesus is preaching to and about to feed the Key Bank Center Arena, which seats around 19,000 people, which by the way, that's where the Buffalo Sabres play who are on a nine game winning streak. Can I get an amen? Thank you, Jesus. Finally, a Buffalo sports team that gives us something to root for and cheer for. So that's the context. Imagine the Key Bank Center Arena full of people and Jesus preaching to this size of a crowd, and then feeding. So we're going to pick up the story in verse 34 of chapter 6. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was getting late in the day, so his disciples came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already pretty late in the day. Would you kind of take a look at the time? Send the people away, they said, so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy, everyone say buy, buy Buy themselves something to eat. I can just imagine it. Peter kind of strolls up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, you know, this sermon is lit, like life-changing. That 18th point you just made, man, I'm going to tweet that. I'm going to put that on Instagram. This is awesome. But, you know, it's, it's getting a little bit late. The sun's starting to set a little bit, and there's not an Applebee's nearby. And, I mean, I could stay here all day, but, you know, Andrew and Philip, they were kind of thinking that maybe we should kind of send the people out so they could go find something to eat in the next town over. What do you say we kind of wrap this thing up and send them off. And look at how Jesus responds. He answered and said, you give. Everyone say give. Give. You give them something to eat. You see, the disciples were preoccupied with what they were going to have to spend. But Jesus didn't say anything about what they were going to have to buy. He said, you give. This is what we do. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Here we go with money talk again. Are we going to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? And so Jesus then asks them a question that I'm hoping every single person here today will ask themselves. What do you have? Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And so they did, and they found a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish to go along with it. The disciples were thinking, how are we going to buy all this food? And Jesus was thinking, give. See, what we see here is two very different mindsets. Jesus viewed what was available through a very different lens than what the disciples viewed the situation through, which was through the lens of scarcity. And what does scarcity say? Scarcity says there's not enough. There's never enough. We're going to run out. 
And in John's account, actually, we read that Andrew said, but how, how far will this little bit go among so many? He's basically saying, like, it's laughable, it's ridiculous how little we have in light of how big the need is. How many of you have ever felt that before? Like, it's ridiculous how big the need is and how little I have. Like, you know, there's always seems to be more month left at the end of your money, right? Or you're, you feel like you're just starting to get ahead financially when all of a sudden something expensive breaks down or a medical bill comes in the mail and you're like, seriously, it's, this is ridiculous. It's laughable how little I have in light of how big the need is. And I'm not trying to dismiss any of those crises that we face because listen to me, every single one of us sooner or later will find ourselves in that situation where we have need. But here's the thing, if you let that thought process sink into your head and you repeat those words over and over again, there's never enough, I'm never gonna be able to get by, I'm never gonna be able to get ahead, it creates a mindset that, that defines how you live your life. It's a scarcity mindset. And it's just not true. It's not what God wants for his children. You see, because Jesus saw the situation through a very different lens. He viewed it through the lens of abundance. If scarcity says there's never enough, abundance says there's more than enough. There's more than enough. If you fast forward to the end of the story, it says that they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples, after cleaning up, after 15 to 20,000 people eating, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Everyone say leftover. Left See, with abundance, there's more than enough. There's always going to be leftovers after the need has been met. So just track with me for a minute. Five loaves and two fish. The disciples say, it's not enough. Jesus says, it's more than enough. The disciples say, it's, it's laughable how little we have. And Jesus says, really, it's plenty. The disciples were operating out of a scarcity mindset. Jesus was operating out of an abundance mindset. I want you to write this thought down. Scarcity asks the question, what can I afford? Abundance asks the question, what do I have? Because there's plenty more where that came from. See, scarcity is consumed and preoccupied with what can I afford? What can I buy? What can I spend? While abundance asks the question, what do I have? Because there's more where that came from. You know, last week I shared with you a little bit of Kelly's and my story and our journey with, you know, how we have responded to the principle of the tithe and the principle of the first, where for the first seven years of our marriage, we always kind of paid the tithe out of what was left over after we had paid all of our bills. And we were convicted after listening to a, a message on the tithe and we walked through a financial series that our church in Columbus went through. And we were convicted and we realized we needed, God deserves the first, God gets the first. And so we prioritized that and we started making some changes. And part of this financial seminar that we went through encouraged us to do just this, ask the question, what do you have? Take inventory of your life and see if there's anything you have that you can sell that you can then use to create the margin to meet the needs and to have stuff left over. And so we started to do this. Kelly and I took inventory of what we had and we recognized that both of us had, you know, some jewelry that neither of us wore very often. And if you remember from last week, for those of you that were here, this is, you know, we were making these changes while we had a $200 a month deficit in our monthly budget. We had more expenditures and, you know, bills than we had money coming in. 
but we still were committed to honoring God with the tithe. And so we decided to take all the jewelry that we weren't wearing anymore and gather it together. And we took it to one of those we buy gold places. And after examining it all and weighing it, they gave us $370 in exchange for the gold. We're like, yeah, where, man, we got 370 bucks. Let's splurge. Let's go get dinner as a family. And so we went to Taco Bell. <laughs> Jackpot, right? So we go through the Taco Bell drive through on the way home. $370 cash in hand. We spent $16.14 on dinner that day. And so the very next day, Kelly went to the grocery store to buy our weekly groceries. And we had already had money set aside for that. And I think our budget at the time was $120 a week for groceries. She comes out of the grocery store and finds a flat tire on our van. So she calls AAA and they come and swap the tire out for the spare and the next day she takes it to the tire store and they said, here's the deal, your valve stem actually just pushed right through into the tire. It would cost this much to fix, but actually, if you look at the rest of your tires, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. All three of your other tires are gonna do the same thing. Uh, they're extremely corroded and it's just a matter of time before they break as well. So Kelly calls me up and explains the situation to me they said, okay, we've got this. It's going to cost this much, but they're encouraging us to get all four of the tires fixed, and it would cost this much. What do you want to do? Because she's the one that actually took the car into the shop, and I was at work. And I said, well, we just sold that. You know, we sold all that gold. We've got the money. We're not going to charge anything because we had made a you know, decision to, to not spend money we didn't have. We weren't going to put anything on the credit card anymore. And so I'm like, we have the money. Let's just go ahead and let them fix all of it so we don't have to worry about it down the road. And so... We paid for it. We got the bill. And it wasn't until we got home that we realized what God had done. I actually saved the receipt, and I have a picture of it for you today because we wanted this to be a mile marker to remind us of the faithfulness of God. Because when you take $370 and subtract the $16.14, and then you subtract the $353.83 from that, we were left with three cents left over from the $370 we've been given. Now, you might not think that's a very big deal, but for me, when we realized what God had done, I actually started weeping because God provided what we need before we had the need. See, when you, when you do this, when you honor God and when you prioritize this, he takes care of your needs. This is what I want all of you guys to understand. Scarcity asks, what can I afford? But abundance asks, what do I have? Because there's more where that came from. And I need you to hear me on something. Many of us have this mindset that, well, when I make more, when my salary increases, I'll give more, I'll be more generous. And if I could just suggest to you today, you are lying to yourself. Because statistics show it proves that the more money we make, the more money we spend, and the less we give away. Scarcity asks the question, what can I afford? What can I buy? What can I spend? But abundance asks the question, what do I have? What if we started today as people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ saying, God, what do I have? Because everything I have is yours. I'm the owner of nothing and the steward of everything. God, use what you've given me however you see fit. See, what we need to understand is that God's economy is very different than the world's economy. And what this story shows us that when we follow Jesus, he completely redefines for us what can be done with a little. He took five loaves of bread and two fish and used it to feed almost 20,000 people. So my question to all of you today is, what could he do with the little you have if you would surrender to him and trust him with it? Following Jesus completely redefines 
How much can be done with just a little? Because little is much when it's in the hands of a miracle-working God. Amen? Little is much when it's in the hands of a miracle-working God. If you view life through the lens of scarcity, if you operate with a scarcity mindset of there's never enough, you are always, always going to be wrestling with those feelings of fear and anxiety of like, am I going to make it? Are we going to have enough? But Jesus has so much more for you as his follower, as a child of God. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. We just talked about this in the last series, that abundant, that Zoe life, that life that's in him and through him and with him. And yet so few of us experience the abundant life that he has for us. What we need to understand is that everything about God's nature is extravagant. Everything about his nature is more than enough. Everything about his nature is abundant. And as his children who've been adopted into his family, in whom his spirit dwells, our lives should reflect the abundant nature of our heavenly father. Our lives should reflect the character and nature of who God is. I mean, if we believe that there is no lack in God and that his spirit lives in us, our lives should reflect the truth of that reality. And yet so few of us as followers of Christ live in this. And so how do we begin to experience this abundant life that Jesus said he came to bring us? For the remainder of our time today, I want to talk about two things that will help us experience the abundant life that God has for every single one of his kids. That includes you. This is for you. This is for every single one of us. Number one, God multiplies what is blessed. He multiplies what is blessed. In the middle of the story, you know, they're realizing they're going to feed these people. And so in Mark 6, 40, it says, They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. See, what we need to understand is that the blessing of God over anything in our life cannot be overstated. It is such a powerful thing. But what does this have to do with our finances? It has everything to do with our finances. See, we learned last week that releasing the tithe, re returning the tithe, releases God's blessing over every part of your life. Returning the tithe releases God's blessing over every part of your life. And notice I said returning, because it belongs to God. In fact, Leviticus 27.30 says, the tithe belongs to the Lord, it is holy to him. The tithe is holy, it's set apart when we bring the tithe, we're actually returning it to whom it belongs. And when we do that, it releases God's blessing over every part of our life. I want to look again at the verse that we looked at last week, Malachi chapter 3, but look at it from a slightly different perspective this week. And what you need to understand is that Malachi is a minor prophet. He was actually, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So this is the last prophetic word, the last prophetic revelation that God's people would hear from God for 400 years before Christ appears on the scene. And this is what God wants his people to hear and to know and to understand. Malachi 3.10 again, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And again, just so we all have clarity, the tithe is not 10% of your income. The tithe is the first 10% of your income. God gets the first, which means we tithe on gross. And I know that this is a very sensitive topic that not everyone agrees on, but why should God get the leftovers after the state takes their fair share? 
God gets the first 10%. It belongs to the Lord. It's holy. It's set apart. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And this is there where we see God giving us permission to test him. In this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, the phrase I want to focus on today is that phrase, the floodgates of heaven, because this gives us some very interesting imagery. In the Old Testament, this phrase in the original Hebrew language is actually only used three times in the entire Old Testament. Once here in Malachi, once in 2 Kings. But the first time it was used, and those listening to Malachi would have remembered about the first time it was used because it's from Genesis when it was talked about the flood. What do we know about the flood from Genesis? Number one, it was a ridiculous amount of water. And number two, there wasn't a part of the earth that was untouched by it. It covered the earth. And this is important for us to understand because this is the imagery that God uses to illustrate his abundant blessings that he wants to pour into our lives. It was a ridiculous amount and it covered the earth. God is saying there is more than you can imagine. It's like a giant lake behind a dam that's just waiting to be unleashed. And what I want you to understand about this is is that, listen, this is not God being stingy. God is not stingy. He's not saying, well, as soon as you pay up, then I'll throw you a bone. Then, then I'll bless your life. That's not what this is about. What, what God is saying is that when, when I find a heart that trusts me, that's a person I can entrust the abundance of heaven to. Because if my heart is all about me and I consume everything I get, if God's going to open up the windows of heaven to a person whose heart is consumed with only themselves and what they can get for themselves, he knows that that's self-destructive to us. And he loves us too much to do that to us. But when, when we bring the tithe, God is saying, that's, that's a person I can entrust the abundance of heaven to. That's what this is about. And the part of the phrase that I want us to focus on as well is heaven. The abundance, the floodgates of heaven. Notice it doesn't say the floodgates of Wall Street. It doesn't say the floodgates of your local bank or the floodgates of the state lottery system. This is the floodgates of heaven. Well, what is heaven? Heaven is the undiluted presence of Jesus. Heaven is overwhelming peace. It's uncontrollable joy, and yes, it's abundant provision as well. You know, I want to share a story with you today of someone that reached out to me after my message last week. I got home, and somebody had sent me a message on Facebook Messenger who attends church here, and she gave me permission to share her story with all of you to encourage you and just to give you a little taste of the floodgates of heaven and realize that the blessings that you'll experience go beyond just, it's not just financial blessing. It touches every part of your life. There's no part of your world that will be untouched when you trust him with the tithe. Tina says this, five years ago, God prompted me to tithe on my gross rather than my net pay. And I was like, really, God, I'm already giving hundreds of dollars, but I obeyed. And a month later, I received an almost $800 check from my mortgage company for overpayment in my escrow account. That covered eight months of the increase. Recently, I started a new job, and I'm making what I did 15 years ago, and I'm the only income in my family. Once I started working again, I began tithing again. One day, I was mad about this, and I was like, God, you know I could do a lot with that money. But two weeks later, I got a call from my boss and I was granted a 50-cent raise when no one else was getting raises at a job I'd only been at for two months. 
So now I get to increase my giving. I believe because of his miraculous response to the five loaves and two fish that I brought, it made me want to give more time and help others. It gave me a larger worldview. I, I have more love to give because I see how generous the giver is. It has increased my faith and has made me very conscious of my natural human tendency to consume and has made me a more conscientious giver, which at the end of the day, I receive as a result of. Isn't that awesome? See what, I've heard stories from people like this where they, they start to experience more intimacy in their marriage when they commit to bringing God the tithe. There's not a part of your world that will be untouched by God's blessings when you commit to returning the tithe to the storehouse. So if you feel stuck in your faith journey, listen, as your pastor, this isn't about anything that I want from you. I want something for you. I want you to experience all that God has for his children. So maybe you would consider committing to returning the tithe. So number one, God multiplies what is blessed. And number two, God multiplies what is given away. He multiplies what is given away. In Matthew's account, it says that he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and he gave to the disciples, and the disciples then gave them to the people. When did the miracle actually happen? See, this story appears in all four Gospels, and not in one of the accounts does it say that all of a sudden, as soon as Jesus said amen after he blessed it, all of a sudden there was enough food to feed 20,000 people. Just to put this in context, like the amount of food that would be needed to feed 15 to 20,000 people is the equivalent of two to three tractor trailer full loads of food. Two to three semis full of food. Now, if that had happened, as soon as Jesus said amen, all of a sudden enough food for that many people just appeared, you would think at least one of the gospel writers would have recorded that. But that's not what it says. The food didn't appear until they what? Until they gave it away. It's like the, the, the fish and the loaves didn't stop coming out of the baskets as they passed it from one person to the next to the next. The miracle didn't happen until the disciples gave it away. God multiplies what is blessed and he multiplies what is given away. See, so much of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ is counterintuitive. It goes against the grain of the way we think things should operate. Jesus said, you want to be great? Be the servant of all. You want to find your life? You're going to have to lose it. He said, bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Everything about following Jesus is countercultural. It goes against the grain. And we see this too in what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 11 when he says, one person gives freely and yet what? Gains even more. This is the economy of heaven, church. And yet another person withholds unduly, tight-fisted, closed hands, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is how heaven works, and this is what God wants for you. This is the adventure, folks, of following Jesus. We are not reservoirs of things. We are not collectors and gatherers of stuff. We are supposed to be conduits through which God lets his resources flow to whomever and wherever he wants them to go. That's our calling as followers of Jesus, not to collect more stuff, not to buy into the mindset of this world that he who dies with the most toys wins. No, we are to be conduits through which his blessings flow. We live with open hands. This is what we do, church. We are a generous people. 
another story for you that illustrates this principle that Kelly and I experienced a few years back. As part of this whole journey for us of reprioritizing and reorienting our life around the tithe and you know, trying to be open-handed and trust God with the first fruits of our increase and giving away what he had given us. We, about six years ago, were getting ready to figure out at the end of the year, you know, we always visited Kelly's family who lived down in Florida. Her sister, her older sister lived down there. Her mom at the time lived down there. And about once a year, we go visit them. And, you know, we were on a super tight budget and uh, we just didn't know if we were gonna have the money to go down. And so we were honestly talking about maybe we just need to let them know that we can't afford to make it because we're not gonna put it on a credit card. We're not gonna spend money we don't have. And so we're, you know, we just prayed and we trusted God. And all of a sudden one day we get this call, a text message from a couple in the church who said that they wanted to meet with Kelly and I because they needed some advice from us. And what you need to understand about this couple is that they were, a very seasoned, mature couple and a couple that we would have gone to for advice when we were having a hard time. And I found it peculiar and a little strange that they were coming to us and saying that they needed advice from us. But nonetheless, we agreed to meet with them. And so we met them one morning at Tim, uh, not Tim Hortons, at Bob Evans at 7.30 in the morning. And after a little bit of um, small talk, they kind of awkwardly transitioned into saying, well, you're probably wondering, you know, why we wanted to talk to you and what we needed advice on. And the truth of the matter is we don't really need advice from you. We just didn't know how else to um, ask you to meet us because we actually wanted to give you something. Um, my husband, the other day in prayer, uh, felt like God spoke to him and said that we were supposed to pay your December's mortgage payment. Kelly and I just turned to each other and we just started weeping because the money that would have gone to our mortgage payment was now freed up to be able to enable us to go down to Florida and spend time with her family. See, God multiplies what is blessed. He multiplies what is given away and God will use other people to meet needs. Do you trust him? What do you have in your hands? If I could leave you with the words of Jesus today, who said, do not worry about what you will eat. Do not worry about what you will wear. Because the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek what? He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. See, when we, when we seek him first, he takes care of us. Your heavenly father knows everything you need. None of the things that you need come by surprise to him. But when we out of a grateful heart come to him in humility and in surrender and we trust him, he says, ah, oh, there's a person that has put me first. I can open up the windows of heaven and there will be not one part of your world that will be untouched by the bounty of his blessing. Why does God want us to be generous? Because listen, he knows that an open-handed life is the antidote to materialism. This addiction we have to stuff, an open-handed life is the answer to the selfishness that plagues so many of us. An open-handed, generous life makes us more like Jesus. See, God gave his best. He withheld nothing from us when he sent Jesus. And out of response for what he did and what he gave, this is what we do. 
Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would speak to our hearts, God, about what you have in store for every single one of your kids. Lord, for those of us that have operated out of a scarcity mindset, I pray that you would, Lord, help us, give us the strength and courage by your spirit to trust what you say is true. In fact, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're brave enough this morning to say, you know what, I operate out of a scarcity mindset way more than I want to, but I want to trust God. I want to live with an abundance mindset. If that's you here today, would you just raise your hand? Look at that all over the place, all over the place. I'm with you. I'm going to pray right now for all of you who are saying, you know what, this isn't the way I know I'm supposed to operate as a follower of Jesus. God, right now, by your Holy Spirit, would you empower us, God, with dunamé power, that, that miracle-working power that raised Jesus from the dead, which is alive inside of us. Lord, would you quicken us to take a step of faith, to trust you. Lord, that we would allow, we, we would position ourselves by returning the tithe to receive your blessings. So many of us have removed ourselves from under the umbrella of that protection and blessing, and we've blamed you for it. But it's been our own reluctance, it's been our own refusal to return to you what already belongs to you that has put us in the position where we're constantly in lack and fearful. But today that changes, God. Today we choose to trust you. We choose to take you at your word. We choose to test you in this. And we believe, God, that you're going to open up the floodgates of heaven that ridiculous amount of blessing that's waiting in reserve for us that will, that will cover every part of our world. Bless your people, God. I pray that you'd break the cycle of scarcity off of people, Lord. Change people's minds. Change people's thinkings. By your Holy Spirit, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, God. May you renew our minds this morning and allow us to see something in the spiritual that cannot be comprehended in the natural. We cannot comprehend this with carnal minds. Lord, let us see it by your spirit. With all heads bowed and eyes still closed, maybe there are people here today who are wondering, you know what? How could God possibly have an abundant life for me? I've made so many mistakes. And what I want you to know here today is that his grace, his undeserved favor is more than enough to cover even a multitude of sins. And if you're here this morning and you're tired of living in a scarcity mindset and you're ready to believe that God sent his son Jesus into the world to pay a debt that was not his, that debt came because of our sin. Every single one of us have sinned and that sin creates separation between you and your heavenly father. But Jesus came and lived a sinless life and allowed himself to be beaten beyond recognition and hung on Calvary's cross so that by believing in him and receiving his free gift of salvation and forgiveness, we could allow his Holy Spirit to come and live in us and we could become children of God. It's not enough to just know about it. It's not enough to hear about it. You've got to believe it and you've got to receive it for yourself. Yet to as many as believed him and who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And if that's you here today and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you want to step into a relationship with Jesus, would you be bold enough to raise your hand in this place today? I see that hand in the middle, down front here, in the back, over here on the left-hand side, those two hands. Thank you, God. Anybody else? I see that hand in the back, up here, up front. 
Anybody else? There's people coming home to Jesus saying yes to their heavenly father, receiving his free gift of salvation. Church, I don't want anybody praying alone, so would you guys join me in praying with those who are coming back to the Father? Say, Heavenly Father, I know you sent Jesus to die for my sin. Yes, I'm a sinner, and I need to be forgiven. I believe that you died for me and that you rose again. Would you wash me, cleanse me, make me new? Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to live for you and serve you and follow you every day from this day forward. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Be my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome those born into God's family today? This is what it's all about, church. Listen, before I dismiss you guys, I just want to address those of you who raised your hands and prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe you're coming back after having been away from him for a long time. If you could take out that green card in front of uh, the chair in front of you that says, I have decided, and check the box that indicates the decision that you're making today, we would love to have you take that back to the information table after the service so that we can put a gift into your hands. We just want to help go on this journey with you. You're not in it alone. Alone. We're so excited for you. We want to walk it with you. And listen, if you would let us know what God has done in your life today, we would be so grateful. This is why we do what we do. And church, just a reminder, reserve those free tickets. Christmas is coming. God's going to do some awesome things. God bless. Have an awesome Sunday. We'll see you next week. Take care.